So we are in a series called I Am Changes Who I Am. And you say, well, that's a really confusing title for a sermon. Like, what in the world does that mean? It takes us back to Exodus chapter 3 when the nation of Israel was forming and they were slaves in Egypt. And God introduces himself to this brand new emerging nation as I am who I am, right? And what was he saying to them? He was saying, hey, I'm not I used to be and I'm not I will be. I am right in what you are going through in your present situation and circumstance. I am right with you. And I am for you. And so 1,300 years later, there's a 30-year-old Jewish carpenter who steps onto the scene and starts teaching with authority that the people had never seen before. And he starts making the same statement. Of course, he now spoke in Greek instead of Hebrew. He uses a Greek equivalent, ego eime, and starts himself declaring that he is And in the Gospel of John, he makes seven of these pronouncements. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking one at a time at each of these pronouncements that Jesus made. I am and how he filled in the blanks. And so if you've been with us, we're going to do a little pop quiz. If you haven't been to Journey and you don't know any of these, don't worry. You don't need a sweat, okay? We're not giving you a grade. You can just relax and see if the rest of these uh, people know the answers to these questions, okay? So we're going to give you a couple prompts, a couple hints to help you out. But way back at the beginning of the series, we started with the first statement that Jesus made in John chapter 6. Jesus said, I am the... The bread of life, exactly, great job. Now in John chapter eight, Jesus makes a second pronouncement and Jesus says, I am the the light of the world, great. And then in John chapter 10, Jesus, we'll show the next picture, Jesus says, I am the, the gate or I am the door. Also in John chapter 10, Jesus makes our fourth pronouncement. He says, I am the the good shepherd, not the sheep. Uh, he says, I am the good shepherd, all right? Okay, and then last week we looked at one from John chapter 14 where Jesus says, and this can be confusing because you're like, what in the world is up there? That's a, that's a map quest uh, directions, right? Jesus said, and this one's several words, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? Excellent. And so today we're going to look at the sixth of Jesus' uh, pronouncements. Next week, we'll look at the the seventh, and we're taking them a little bit out of of order for next week because the one we'll look at, uh, spoiler alert, next week we're looking at I am the resurrection and the life. Don't you think that that's applicable, right? Okay, so this week we want to look at one that's a big one. It's in John chapter 15, and I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to this, whether you're reading from an app on your phone or whether you actually have a Bible in front of you. By the way, if you don't own a Bible, we have free Bibles in a bookshelf back there. You can grab one on your way out, take off the sticker on the front, write your name in it, and treat it as if it is your Bible, and, and then start bringing it with you on Sunday mornings. There's something about, I know you got it on your phone or you got it on your tablet or whatever, but there's something about reading it for yourself and being able to underline and be able to, being able to write notes in your Bible. And so we're going to be in John chapter 15. I want to give you plenty of time to find this, and, and so as you're looking for it, let me give you the kind of the lowdown because we find ourselves in the middle of a story. This is the, the Last Supper. So if you've ever seen, you know, Da Vinci's painting, you know, this, this is that. Except for in the real Last Supper, they're not just seated on one side of the table. Don't you think that's odd in that painting? It's like, why are they all on one side of the table, right? And so, so this is the Last Supper, and, and, and we talked about this a little bit last week. The disciples came into the Last Supper, like, highly enthusiastic. Like, they were so excited, because rumor on the street was that Messiah was coming, and yet the disciples knew Messiah is here. And they were amped, and they were excited. The problem is, they didn't quite understand what Messiah was. Their definition of Messiah and Jesus' definition of Messiah were on totally different uh, uh, planets, right? 
So they were looking for a Messiah who was going to come in and rescue the people of Israel from Roman occupation and kick some Roman butt. And he's going to establish a throne in the center of Jerusalem. And they're all going to have tiny, smaller thrones like around it. And life is going to be awesome, right? They've already been arguing over who's going to be the greatest and who's going to have the closest proximity to Jesus' throne. I mean, all this has been going down. And Jesus begins the dinner and he starts uh, quickly disappointing their, their thoughts and their ideas of what Messiah looks like. Jesus washes their feet and, and Jesus starts talking about suffering and Jesus starts talking about his death and he starts talking about one of them's gonna betray him and he starts saying, one of you's gonna deny me and, and he says, I'm not gonna be here much longer. I'm going away and I'm going to a place you don't know. And the disciples, like you can see the disillusionment begin to settle upon them. Well, now dinner is over, and uh, the plates and the silverware have all been cleared off, and, and they follow Jesus out of this room, down the stairs, into the cool air, and they start walking through the winding streets of Jerusalem. They're walking toward an isolated garden that was situated on the Mount of Olives, and, and along the way, Jesus takes them through a carefully tended vineyard. And he stops as they're walking through the vineyard. Jesus stops at a particular spot and he, I believe he just, this isn't in scripture, I'm making some of this up, but I believe he grabs a, a branch of grapes and he starts giving them like an actual object lesson. Now this, this is really important that we get what's going on here. This is really going to be the last teaching that Jesus is gonna give them before his death. John chapter 15, if you look, the very next thing is John chapter 16 where Jesus prays and then he's going to get arrested, and he's going to be put on the quickest trial you've ever seen, and he's going to be tortured and beaten and humiliated, and he's going to be executed on a cross. And This is the last lesson that he has. This is the last opportunity that he has to teach his disciples. And so this isn't a flippant thing. This isn't Jesus going, oh, here's some grapes. Let me talk about some grapes and vineyards and vine branches and that kind of stuff. No, this, in my mind, this is extremely intentional what Jesus is about to do. Jesus understands what's about to go down for his disciples. Like he knows what he's gonna go through and this becomes very evident in the prayer that he's gonna pray in John chapter 16. But he also knows what his disciples are about to go through. In fact, if you were to survey his disciples years later, and you would sit down with Andrew and Peter and you would sit down with John and you would say, hey, um, what was the darkest moment of the three years of following Jesus? Like, what was the moment where, like, you gave up hope or you were ready to give up hope? You know what those disciples would answer? I guarantee you every single one of them would, would have looked at that weekend. From the moment, really, of them walking to the, the garden and the Mount of Olives all the way to the, the moment of Jesus' body being put into a tomb, they would say, that was the darkest moment. We didn't understand what was going on. So Jesus knows not only what's going to happen to him, he knows what's going to happen to them. And he knows the opportunity for discouragement and disillusionment and disappointment. And he says, I've got something that I need to tell you. Now, here's the thing. I believe in this room and watching online, we have people that are also struggling with discouragement and disappointment and disillusionment. Like, God, where are you? What are you doing? Why are you asking this of me? Why are you allowing me to go through this? Like, I don't get this. And Jesus understands that. And so he says, hey guys, I want you to lean in for a minute. 
I've got something really important to show you, but also something very important to tell you. And this is John chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 1. And I warn you, if you haven't been around Journey, if you're watching and you haven't heard me preach, I like to start and stop a lot, okay? So just, just get ready for this. It's just kind of the, it's how I'm wired. I don't know. I'm weird. John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus is speaking, and he says, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener, Right? And so right out of the gates, let's just pause for a second. I, I got to tell you, my own experience with this, I grew up in the church. I grew up hearing this passage. I grew up, you know, you'd go in someone's house, and this would be like cross-stitched on, you know, some framed thing, you know. And, and, and so, in fact, I think, literally, I think my mother-in-law has this cross-stitched in her bathroom or something. But uh, Carrie will correct me later on. But, but I, re- I remember, like, see, I, I, I would hear that, and I would see this growing up. And for me, like, when I thought of vines, I, like, I didn't think of this being very significant or substantial. Like, I remember when I was a kid, probably first, second, third grade, I remember going to Johnny Vaughn's house, and in his backyard, like, there was this path that would take you to this area that in my first grade, second grade, third grade mind was like acres, right? And it was all undeveloped, just like everything growing up, and it was like a place where we would have adventures, and it was a cool, anybody ever have a spot like that growing up? Man, I, I grieve for our kids who don't, they don't even have opportunities. Like, we're like, don't go outside. You might get abducted or something worse. I'm like, go outside, learn something. Uh, so that's a whole nother sermon. So, uh, so we'd go out and, and part of this outside were these vines and we would, we would swing on these vines, but these were not substantial vines because our little puny first grade, second grade, third grade bodies, we'd like rip these things off the trees. And, and so when I hear Jesus saying, I am the vine, like in my mind, I always think of like that, that, that long trailing limb, right? But if you go to the Middle East and you look at a, a vineyard, when, he, when he's talking about the vine, he's talking about the trunk that grows up out of the plant. It grows up out of the ground. And you look at these trunks, and they're, they're stable. They ain't going nowhere. They're, they're, you're not going to easily uh, damage this thing, right? And so when Jesus says, I am the vine, I guess the best comparison would be if Jesus was doing his ministry in Ohio, like, he probably wouldn't have ended up at a vineyard. He probably would have ended up at, like, Eshelman's apple orchard, right? He probably would have been walking them through the rows of apple trees, and he probably would have, instead of saying, I am the vine, he probably would have said, I am the trunk. So for us Ohioans, maybe think in your mind, Jesus saying, I am the trunk. And he says, and my father, your heavenly father, is the vine dresser. He is the gardener. He goes on in verse two. He says, he, my heavenly father, the gardener, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will what? Produce even more, right? Like this is, this is what he's after. He says, hey, the gardener's task is really simple. The gardener's task is that he wants every plant to produce as much pounds of grapes as possible, that is really what it's all about. It's not about it looking pretty. It's not about it, you know, being all that. He just simply wants the plant to produce as much pounds of grapes as possible. And he will do what it takes to get that plant to do that. He wants us to be fruitful. Now, when Jesus is talking about fruit, he's not talking about like literal fruit. He's using a metaphor. In fact, Jesus uses a metaphor of fruit a lot in the gospels. And when Jesus is talking about fruit, what he is essentially talking about is he's talking about his followers having thoughts, attitudes, and actions that align with our heavenly father. I want you to get that. When he's talking about fruit, he's talking about having the thoughts, 
attitudes and actions that align with the Heavenly Father. Why? Because when I can think the way that my Heavenly Father thinks and I act the way that my Heavenly Father acts and, 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 and I react in those ways, like it brings glory to him. People start seeing Jesus in ways that they've never seen Jesus before. Not because Jesus has changed, but all of a sudden the revelation of Jesus has become more complete. And so Jesus looks at his followers and he says, hey, this is what your heavenly father wants. He wants you to bear fruit. And he would look at you and me today and he would say, this is what your heavenly father wants. He wants you to bear fruit. But here's the thing, this doesn't just happen naturally. It doesn't just happen because you attend church. It doesn't just happen because you prayed a sinner's prayer. And I'm not talking about eternity. I'm not talking about, you know, when you die, are you going to go to heaven or are you going to hell? That, that, that's not my, the issue here. I'm talking about being fruitful doesn't just happen naturally. And I'll, and I'll give you a defense for, for the argument that I'm making. Like, we have all attended churches. Hopefully, you can't think of anybody at Journey Church, but maybe. We've all attended churches where, you know, people have been in that church 30, 40, 50, 70 years. I mean, they've been on the deacon board, and they've, been, they've led the choir, and, and they're the crankiest, meanest, gossiping, you know, stab-you-in-the-back people that you've ever met. I mean, don't accidentally sit in their pew or in their chair on a Sunday morning. They will give you the act, right? Like, any, people are laughing because you've had this experience. In fact, somebody's calling you right now to tell you about that experience, right? <laughs> like, we, we, we laugh at that because we've experienced that. Now, here's the thing. Your heavenly father loves you, and he loves the people around you. He loves the people who loves you so much that he says, hey, I... Come as you are, but I want to prune you. I want to do in you a work so that you would produce fruit. So that increasingly your thoughts and your actions and your attitudes will become more and more in alignment with the Heavenly Father. This, this doesn't happen instantly. You don't click your heels together three times and it magically your life is so much different. This takes intentionality and it takes time and it takes effort and it, it, sometimes it's frustrating and sometimes we get impatient with the process. But we have to dig in. We have to dig in for the long haul. Now, I just want to hit the pause button real quick because the things that I'm about to say, and probably even some of the stuff I've already been saying, there is a temptation. The enemy wants to come in. And remember, Satan, Satan, you know, when, it actually means the accuser. Okay, he's the accuser of the brethren. And so the devil wants to come, and he wants to lie, and he wants to accuse. And here's my, here's my I guess, fear in this sermon is that this sermon would be all about condemnation for some of you. That you're going to hear what I have to say, and Satan's going to get in, and just you're not good enough, and you've never been good enough, and you don't bear any fruit in your life, and you'll never bear fruit in your life, and blah, 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 blah. And I want you to know, this sermon is not a condemnation sermon. From my intent and from the word of God, this is a sermon of hope. Jesus isn't trying to condemn his disciples right before he says, peace out, y'all. Jesus is trying to encourage them. He's trying to give them hope. Here's the thing about fruit. Maybe your life hasn't borne fruit in the last, you know, 15 days. But you know what? Jesus, he's not, it's not about the last 15 days. It's about the next 15 days. It's about the next 15 months. It's about the next 15 years, okay? So maybe you look at your life and you go, Ken, I'm not bearing any fruit. Jesus would come alongside you and say, all right, let's start. Let's start, there's hope. 
It's not condemnation. And so as we look at John chapter 15, and we're gonna look at several more verses in a few minutes, I think what you see is essentially two different categories. We have the category of people who bear no fruit or maybe just a little bit of fruit. And then we have the category of people who bear a lot of fruit. This is, by the way, this is real fruit. Someone was wondering earlier in the first service, this is real fruit, and if I get hungry at some point, I'm probably these grapes look actually pretty good right now. And so, so here's the deal. Here's a question I wanna ask of you. With no condemnation, this is just, let's just be real. You know, the path to growth starts with being real with ourselves, right? Telling the truth to ourselves. Here's the question. Is your life bearing no fruit or a little bit of fruit? Or honestly, could you say, my life is bearing a lot of fruit? Again, we're talking about a metaphor. Your thoughts, actions, and attitudes, how they align with your heavenly father. Is your life bearing no fruit, just a little bit of fruit? Or is your life bearing a lot of fruit? And, and let me talk about these two categories because really what we're after is, okay, if I'm not bearing any fruit or just a little bit of fruit, how can I bear more fruit? Well, Jesus tells us in verse two. In fact, let me read the beginning of verse two again, but I wanna read it in the English Standard Version. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, so that would be this jar over here, does not bear fruit, or maybe there's just a little bit of fruit, he takes away. He, the gardener, your heavenly father, takes away. That's an interesting translation. Uh, some of your translation says he cuts away. And I'll be honest, this is the way I've always viewed it. You know, I always thought of God as some machete-wielding, you know, just no rhyme or reason, just cutting through the vineyard, just chopping willy-nilly anything that he wants to chop off. But I started studying this, and, and this is an interesting passage because the Greek word that's used here uh, has a, a number of different meanings. It can be translated in a number of different ways. A lot of translators have, ch have chosen to say that the gardener cuts those things away. I would argue that there's a different way of viewing this, and, and, and there's a lot of scholars who go along with this Bruce Wilkinson in his book, Secrets of the Vine, probably chiefly. This Greek word that Jesus uses that is translated cuts is the word arrow, A-E-R-O. It can be translated cut, but it can also be translated a different way. It, can, it literally means to take up or to lift up. In fact, the idea of aeroplane, you know, air, air, this idea of lifting up. In fact, even in scripture itself, and I'm not trying to nerd you or bore you with this, but I, I want to make sure you understand there's defense for what I'm saying because it's cru crucial. It's the same, arrow is the same word that's used when Jesus fed 5,000 people and there were 12 baskets of leftovers afterward. Scripture says that his disciples arrowed the baskets. They lifted them up. They took them away, right? That's not, they didn't cut them off. I don't think they just threw it all in the trash. A second uh, instance uh, in another gospel is that um, when Jesus was going through the streets of Jerusalem with the cross, remember he had, he had been sentenced to die and he's carrying his cross and he falls over and the Romans grab out of the crowd a guy named Simon and they, and they told, they didn't ask, I was about to say they asked, they told Simon to arrow the cross, to lift up, to take up the cross. He wasn't cutting off the cross. He was lifting it up. He was taking it up. So in other places in the Gospels, we don't have any problem translating it this way. For whatever reason, some, some translators have decided to translate this idea of cutting off. I would argue with you, you don't have to agree with me, I would argue that, that actually from a, from a gardening perspective, the best way to look at this is for the limbs, for the branches that don't bear any fruit, what would the gardener do? The gardener would, and here's the thing, especially with, a, with a, um, a grapevine, is that most of these branches, these new branches will grow along the ground, 
And, and, and in the process, they get rained on and they get dirty. And the biggest problem that, that horticulturists have told us is that they begin to, like, I can't even say horticulture. I'm like, horticulturists. My lisp in that word, it just doesn't work well. And so uh, what they will tell you is that the real issue is mildew. Because these limbs are growing along the ground and they get dirty and they get rained on and they start to mildew and they don't bear any fruit. And so what would happen in the natural is that a gardener, if this was a natural plant, the gardener would come along and he would clean off the mildew, he'd clean off the dirt, and then he would lift it up and he would tie it to a higher point along the vineyard, along, you know, there's the trusses, whatever you would call that. Like he, he takes and he lifts it up and he ties it to a higher point. I think this is, to me, this is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, your life is not bearing any fruit or it's bearing little fruit. Your heavenly father wants to come along and he sees that mildew in your life and he wants to clean off the mildew and he's not gonna cut you off. He's not gonna chop you off. He He wants to clean you off and he wants to tie you to a higher point. He wants to tie you to himself. He loves you so much. But here's the thing. We have to get real about the mildew, the spiritual mildew in our lives. See, here's the thing about mildew in the natural is sometimes there's mildew going on and you can't see it. There's a Febreze commercial that talks about being nose blind. You have that aunt. There's no one in this room named Doris, right? We're going to call her Doris. Do you have that aunt Doris who has like 15 cats? And you go over to Aunt Doris's house, and I mean, just as you're opening the storm door to go into her house, you go, oh my gosh. And Doris is like, what's wrong? You're like, you can't smell this? No, Aunt Doris can't smell it because she is nose blind, right? She's gotten used to the smell. Not all mildew is visible. A lot of mildew, if you look it up, is actually invisible. And so sometimes we're not even aware of the spiritual mildew that's going on in our lives. We've gotten so used to it. But here's the thing. We're not producing fruit because you can't produce fruit when you're filled with spiritual mildew. So let me ask you this question. What is the spiritual mildew in your life? What is the area where maybe it's disobedience? God has clearly spoken to you and you have not obeyed him. That would be spiritual mildew. Maybe for you it's bitterness. And something that wasn't even your fault, somebody did something to you, and you know that God is calling you to forgive them, but you have refused to forgive them. And you've you've treated your grudge as a right. I have a right to this grudge. Can I tell you? That is spiritual mildew. You will not be fruitful. For some of you, it's gossip. And you do it in all kinds of spiritual ways, but you love to talk about other people. You love to judge other people. It's spiritual pride that wells up inside of you. And can I tell you, that is mildew. I mean, we could go down this list a long time and and we could make sure we pick out everyone's. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's envy. Maybe it's jealousy. I mean, there's all kinds of spiritual mildew. Here's the thing. We have to get honest before God and say, God, I recognize I'm not bearing any fruit in my life. Like, what is the spiritual mildew in my life? Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, David prays a dangerous prayer. I would invite you to pray this prayer. It's a prayer I've been praying lately. He says this, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Then he says this, he says, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Like I like the end of it. I think everybody in this room, everybody would say, hey, I want to be led along the path of everlasting life. Anybody with me? Anybody? Like, 
Three of you back there? That's awesome. Okay, like, like we want, I want to be led along the path of everlasting life. But do you notice what he says before you get to being led along the path of everlasting life? You have to have the vulnerability and the honesty before God to pray this prayer. God, go ahead and search me. God, go ahead, know what's really going on. Sometimes there's anxiety inside of me, fear inside of me, insecurity inside of me that I don't even see. Everyone around me knows what's going on. I don't even see it myself. But God, would you test me? Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me. That's a huge word, anything. God, point out anything in me that offends you. Sometimes we think that we're fighting for God and we're actually grieving God. So if your life is in this place of, you know, little, no fruit, what does a spiritual meal do in your life? Your heavenly father, if you will invite him, he will point it out. And if you will allow him, he will cleanse you and he will tie you to a higher place. What, what do we do with mildew? We put it in the sun. We take it out of darkness and we put it in the light of the sun. And what do we do? We allow the air to flow through it, right? The, the breath, the wind of the Holy Spirit to come through, right? Here's the thing. Maybe you're over here and you say, hey, Ken, I don't have to worry about that, dude. I've got a lot of fruit going on. Like, I've got a lot of fruit going on in my life. So we're cool. We're cool, right? And I'll say, you don't want to know what Jesus says. <laughs> because this is hard. He says this in the second part of verse 2. He says, and he, the gardener, your heavenly father, and he prunes the branches that what? I hate this. Like if I could correct the Bible, I mean, I'm sure the translators got this one wrong, right? Like I'm sure he only prunes the branches that don't bear fruit. Of course, right? I mean, that makes sense to us. No, no, no. Jesus says, and I looked at it in the Greek. He says he prunes the branches that do bear fruit. I don't like this. Uh, uh, um, I can't remember his name now. The guy who wrote Secrets of the Vine. You'll have to look it up. Bruce Wilkinson. He says this. He says, when growing grapes, you can have the iconic large grape leaves filling your vineyard terraces, or you can have bunches of the biggest, juiciest grapes, but you can't have both. God wants you to experience fruit. So he will intervene in your life, and he will cut away the lesser priorities and distractions for his glory. And how does he do this? Sometimes he says no to our prayers. We say, God, this is a good prayer I'm praying. Like, I'm praying a really good prayer here. And sometimes God will say, sometimes he doesn't say no. Sometimes he says, not yet. Not now. Keep seeking me. Keep hungering for me. Keep chasing after me. And we don't understand it. God, how could you not instantly answer this prayer? Like, this is a good prayer. Sometimes God asks us to sacrifice things. Sacrifices things that are valuable to us for his sake. We go, God, this is going to be hard. Sometimes God asks us to do things that in our, in our minds are like impossible. God will tap you on the shoulder and he will say, I want you to fill in the blank. And you go, there's no way. I can't. I don't have what it takes I don't have enough resources. In fact, I would, I would challenge you. Go through the Bible and think about your greatest heroes in the Bible. Almost all of them are men and women who were asked to do things that were way beyond themselves. 
And we look at it on our end and we go, wasn't that awesome that Deborah did that? Wasn't it awesome that, that, that uh, Daniel did that? Well, yes, awesome from our vantage point. It wasn't awesome for them in the moment. And here's the thing. If, if you're producing fruit, your heavenly father looks at that and he, he goes, well done. That's great. I love you. I love you no matter what. But here's the thing. I want you to produce even more fruit. I love you so much. I see even more potential. I see even more of what could be done for the glory of God in your life. Don't rest with just the fruit that you have. Trust in him for more fruit. As a church, that's one of the things we're doing. We're saying, God, thank you for how you've blessed us. We're believing you for even more. Because we know there's even more people in this community that need Jesus. There's even more people in this community who need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. There's even more people in this community who need to be served because they're looking for somebody who will pray with them. They're looking for someone who will care about what they care about. So let's continue in verse 3. Jesus says, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If you look at this passage, you'll see one Greek word that is repeated over and over and over again. It is the word meno. I think of, you know, mentos? You know, those things you drop in a two-liter bottle of Diet Coke to watch the explosion? Does anybody actually ever eat those things? Like, I think they're just used for exploding things, right? But this, okay, it's not mento. I'm going down a rabbit trail. Okay, come back, Ken. The word in the Greek is meno, M-E-N-O, and it's used 11 times in this passage. It's the word that we translate remain, or some of your translations are abide, or some of your translations use the idea of stay connected. Like, when Jesus is saying this, it, it, here, it means remain, stay, have a constant dependency, and this is what Jesus is getting. He's saying, hey, to his disciples, he's saying, hey, I'm about to leave and things are going to get hairy and you're not going to understand it and you're going you're gonna to be t- tempted to be disappointed and disillusioned. I need you in this moment as never before to abide in me. And here's the message for the church. Your heavenly father says, look, I know that things are dark and scary out there. I think for anybody in this room, regardless of your political persuasion, regardless of, of where you land on different social issues, I think a lot of us would say, man, as I look at what's going on in the world, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't think anybody sitting in here would say, yeah, things are cupcakes and unicorns in our world right now. They're not. But more than ever before, Jesus' disciples, Jesus' followers have to menno. We have to remain. We have to abide. We have to be totally dependent and stay connected to the life of Jesus Christ. In fact, more than ever, like there's, there needs to be a resolve inside of us that would say, you know what? I am going to depend upon Christ as I've never had before in my life. So here's, here's, you know, I was, I was talking to our, our pastors this week, and I was like, I just need some practical ideas because we're all wired differently. We all kind of approach God in different ways. We have different personalities, different experiences. Like, some, what are some ways this week of all weeks that we could be challenged to just depend upon God in a greater way, to, to connect with God, to, to listen to God more than ever before? You know, this is a week uh, that we remember the Lord's passion, This is the week that we remember all that Jesus went through as we lead up to Resurrection Sunday, right? 
Like, what would it look like this week more than ever before to just say, I'm going to depend upon Christ. I'm going to stay connected to Christ. So here's just a couple ideas that our team had, and, and you might have more ideas, but I would, I would encourage you, pick something. Something different. Don't just say, I'm good. I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing. I would encourage you to do something different just this week. One week, okay? And here's a, here's a couple of ideas. One is um, maybe, maybe you love, you know, to... to, to uh, binge on Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever it would be. Here, here's an opportunity. I would encourage you, you know, take some of the time that you would spend watching Netflix or spending watching one of these other services and, and take some time to watch a teaching on Right Now Media. So we have this, uh, Right Now Media is something the church has bought into. We, we have paid for a subscription for everybody who attends Journey. You'll never be asked to pay uh, any of your own money for this. The church takes care of it. And it's kind of like Netflix, but it's thousands of Christian teachings and videos. And there's kids stuff on there. In fact, one, for our family, one of our favorites is What's in the Bible, which was created by Phil Vischer, the guy who created VeggieTales. And guys, I've, I've, been, I've got my master's degree, and I still, in this kids program, learn things about the Bible that I never learned before. It's like so good and it's entertaining and, uh, you know, you don't even have to have kids in your house to watch this. Yeah, there's puppets and they're singing, but you'll enjoy it. And uh, it's snarky and there's some sarcasm in there and it's fun. So, so you know, I would, I would challenge you this week, just find some things. We've pinned a bunch of programs that we like at the top and things that we think might be applicable during this Easter season. But, um, you know, get that on your phone. Get that on your Roku. You, you can pr- have it right on your TV. Uh, the details are at explorejourney.org. That's our website site slash gift, and uh, we'll give you all the details for getting that. If you need more information, let one of us know. Here's another thing. So maybe that's your thing. Maybe here's a second thing is soap. How many of you guys use soap? Everybody, hopefully. Okay, soap is an acronym that we use at Journey. Uh, called, it stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. And it's a way of saying, hey, in reading the Bible, here's been my experience. I've grown up reading the Bible, and I've been guilty for years that I would read something. I mean, I would read it, and I would check it off my to-do list, and six hours later, if you asked me what I read and how it applied to me, I'd be like, I don't know. I mean, it was some good, good Scripture there. I don't know how it applies to me. And so what we do is we challenge you as you're reading scripture, just a couple paragraphs in your Bible, as you're reading scripture, get out a notebook, get out some paper or get out your notes on your, uh, on your phone. And first of all, find one verse from what you're reading and write it out. Research says that if you handwrite it out, there's so much more potential of you remembering it. So handwrite it out. And then, O, that's scripture. O is your observation. What's going on in the scripture? Why is this important? Why is this... Why is this standing out to me? A is application. How am I going to make this practical? How am I going to apply this? And then P is prayer. It's just a prayer based on what you just read, where you write your own prayer. I'm telling you, this could be a way of engaging with God in a way that you haven't. We've been doing this through the whole Lent season, but if you haven't been, start in John chapter 19 this week and read through the rest of, of the Gospel of John. There's only a couple chapters after that. And John 19 is, is a chapter where Jesus is crucified. And you'll lead up through the resurrection, and you'll lead up through the restoration of, of, of uh, Peter, and it's, it's just incredible. So that's the second one. A third one would be this. Uh, uh, intentionally, this week, instead of listening to the music that you normally listen to, just for one week, this week that we remember the Lord's Passion, just decide, I'm going to listen to worship music this week. And some of you are going, like, okay, how do I even find that? What would I even listen to? We have a Spotify playlist. We have a playlist on YouTube. For me, I'll give you what I've been listening to lately. is a, it's a group called Maverick City. 
Maverick, like M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K, City, and you can search for that on Spotify. And I've been, I've been loving that. I've been loving some Maverick City. You guys can check that out. Uh, here's another one. Go to a park. One of the best things about Sandusky County is our park district. We have some incredible parks in Sandusky County. Find a park that has a trail, and when you park your car, hide your phone somewhere, lock the car, go out with no headphones, no phone with you, and just walk. And before you start your walk, just say, God, would you give me ears to hear what you want me to hear, and would you give me eyes to see what you want me to see? I'm telling you, I looked at the forecast. We're going to have some awesome days this week. This could be great. Some of you are wired that this could be a way of connecting with God. Here's another one is, is just listen. Find a way intentionally this week just to listen to God. I want to tell you something. You're going to think that I'm a fruit loop after this, okay? And I shared this a couple years ago, but I just did this this past Thursday on my day off. Nobody was at the house. And here's what I do. I get out a pot of water. I put it on the stove. And I force myself to not do it. No TVs on. No music's on. My phone's over in my bedroom. And I watch the water boil. You say, Ken, you've lost your mind. Okay, I, I know it. For me, it just works for me. I, I watch and, and I just say, God, I'm giving you this time to listen to you. Would you just speak to me? Okay, God doesn't speak to me in the water, okay? I'm not praying to the pot. I'm not praying to the water, okay, just so you know. I'm just using that as a time. You say, well, you could use a timer on your phone. Yeah, but I'm way too weird for that, okay? I got to do something. And so they say a watch pot never boils. It does. I watched it. It did. It did. And so for me, it's just a way of, again, it's just this, I, I just say, and I'm telling you, it's weird and it doesn't make any sense, but it's me intentionally saying, God, this is your time. Amen. I talk to you all the time. I read your word out loud all the time. This is, would you speak to me? Would you give me ears here? Sometimes the value of it is just being still for that time. Sometimes you say, well, what did God say? There's sometimes, I don't know what he said, but I feel better afterward because I listened to him. I was paying attention to him. You know, there's so many other ways, and you guys might have ideas, and maybe what we'll even do this week on Facebook is just ask you for your idea. How, how can you be better connected to Christ? How can you deepen your dependency upon Christ? How can you have a better quality of devoted time with Christ this week? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, and we have two psalms that we're going to put up on the screen. Psalm 66, verses 10 through 12, and Psalm 27, verse 4. And we're going to put these right in a row. And what I want us to do as a response, and then I'm going to pray for us at the end of this and ask you to stay standing while I pray. I want us just to read the scripture as a response. And we're going to read it out loud, and then I'll have you close your eyes and we'll pray. So we'll put this up here. Let's read together. Oh, Lord, we have passed through your fire. Like precious metal made pure, you've proved us, perfected us, and made us holy. We've passed through fire and flood, yet in the end, you always bring us out better than we were before, saturated with your goodness. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. Would you bow your heads? Father, um, we want to bear fruit for your glory. And so I pray for those in this room who would just honestly say, I'm not bearing any fruit right now. Or I'm bearing just a little bit of fruit. 
God, I pray that we would also have the guts to pray the dangerous prayer, search me, know me, test me, point out what is offending you. God, that we would bring that spiritual mildew into the light of your son and allow the breath of your Holy Spirit, the wind of your Holy Spirit to breathe into those places. God, for somebody in this room, it might mean um, uh, going to a trusted, reliable, mature follower of Christ and talking about some things that are going on. We might need to literally bring this thing out of darkness into light and get help. I pray for the courage and the empowerment and the strength because we want to bear fruit for your glory. God, I pray for the person who <laughs> there's actually maybe even spiritual pride that we go, I'm bearing fruit. Like, I'm doing it. I don't have things that I need to confess, sins that I need to confess. I, life is good. God, I pray that we would be um, prepared for you to grow us even more through prayers that aren't answered in our timetable, through challenges that you would ask of us, places in our lives that you would ask us to surrender. God, we too want to bear even more fruit for your glory. So strengthen us, empower us, oh God. I pray that we would have a deeper devotion to you than we ever had before, God. I pray that you would give us creativity to, to do things differently than we've done them, to find different places, different spaces, different ways of connecting with you. And God, even this week, I'm praying over each man, each woman, our middle school students, in this room, God, everybody in this room today, I pray that, that this week of all weeks, this week leading up to Resurrection Sunday, this week that we remember your passion, God, I pray that, that we would do something different this week to connect with you and that we would discover you in ways that we never have before. Again, for your glory and for your honor. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.